I'm so glad that you're able to take time away from your business to join us this evening. I'm really excited about tonight's show because I have wanted for a long time to have our guest be with us. I'm thrilled that uh, I'm going to have our our special guest. I'm I'm glad that uh, we are getting into the fall. I don't know about uh, your part of the the world, but here in Florida, we've actually felt it's cooling down. It's down into into the 70 degrees and out early this morning watching a couple of joggers, of which I was not one of the early morning joggers. They were making comments about um, how much cooler and how comfortable that it felt. Well, let me welcome everybody to the E-Retailer Conversation Conference Call for September 13, 2012. My name is Tom Shea. I'm the host for this evening, and uh, glad you're with us on tonight's edition. We have been doing this for about four years now, and uh, I'd like to think that... Uh, we're, we're ga- gaining in numbers, people who come be a part of us. Uh, let me go through the uh, opening routine to tell everyone how it goes. Um, tonight's recording, uh, or tonight's session is being recorded. It will be on the ProfitsPlus.org website somewhere later this evening. Compliments of our info stud, Mr. Bruce Giroux, over in Orlando, Florida. It will be available to you as a click and listen link on the website or it will also be available as an MP3 that you can download it to an iPod or other similar player, or if you are one of those fortunate ones with plenty of money that uh, you're going to spend, you can go get one of those new iPhone 5s and put it on there. Let me ask you, if you would please, for those who are, are listening in, if you would press star 6 on your phone. This is going to mute you as we go through the first part of the phone call. Uh, I will make a point to uh, invite you a little bit later on to press star six again to unmute it so that you can uh, come and be a a part of the questions that we're going to uh, be asking with our guest. While I have uh, taken the questions that I've received so far, printed them off, and uh, have sent some over to our our guest for tonight, I do attempt to monitor Facebook at the same time. So if you simply go looking for Tom Shea and you see this drawing of me on Facebook, uh, you can send in a, a message there, and we will be glad to uh, respond to it. And if you send an email during the course of the program tonight, it would go to tomshay at profitsplus.org. And uh, we would make a point to include it at that point. So let's see, that all being said, that's the tech stuff covered. We're ready to go with that. Let me start by... Uh, inviting my friend in, my partner, my buddy, 
uh, the person who I, I give credit to was the one who came and said, you know, you ought to start inviting more people to come and be a part of the call and to join us. And uh, it was um, it was pretty good idea. It has worked very very well for us. I'm glad that we uh, have added that to uh, to what we're doing. And that special guest of mine, my buddy, who's uh, calling in tonight, I think from Michigan, is Mr. Bill Kendi. William, are you there with us? I am here, Mr. Tom. I apologize. Uh, today's been a, a bit of a, a gremlin day, and uh, it's a little bit of Murphy's Law that whatever can go wrong will go wrong, and as I was trying to dial in, my cell phone decided to uh, have a gremlin, so I apologize for being a little bit tardy, but, you know, we've been doing this now for, for you know a little bit, and it's uh, great fun, and I hope the listeners uh, enjoy what we do. And the kudos actually go to you for getting this whole ball rolling. Well, I think so, it's more the tech guy. I am, I am not worthy. Together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always say you're my Johnny Carson and I'm your Ed McMahon. Go figure. So how have you been? I've been fine. Aside from these little grumblings, I've been fine. Thank you, sir. How have you been in sunny Florida? Um, just got back. Was visiting with some really neat people in a town called Canmore, Alberta, very close to uh, the ski area of Banff. What a gorgeous, gorgeous part of the world that was. And enjoyed visiting with uh, with all those folks. And I'm leaving the first of the week. I'll be heading to Las Vegas for Interbike, which is the uh, national bicycle show here in the United States. And I know of a couple of people because I wasn't able to get to the Canadian bike show this year of scheduling conflicts that um, a couple of folks who said, well, we're going to go to the state's uh, version of the bike show so that we can come down and hear some of your educational sessions. So I guess I'll be spending part of my weekend making really, really sure that I am uh, polished and, re- and ready to go. Well, just remember, Tom, you don't gamble at all hardly, but hold on to your wallet, buddy. I have never gambled and I tell people I do not gamble because I own a business, and that's enough gambling. That's enough. <laughs> I think it was Will Rogers who said something like, the only way to be sure of doubling your money is take a dollar bill, fold it in half, and put it in your pocket. And Well, I see, in today's economy, um, I guess he's only meaning fold it in half to make it look like it because he surely not is not referring to the oh. fact that you're going to earn interest on it. Well, no, I'm talking about Will Rogers here, Tom. Come on, cut me some slacker, buddy. A little tiffy sort of stuff. But anyway, thanks for having me on, and I understand we're going to be talking to uh, another good friend of mine this evening. Yeah, I, I would say this is a guest that you probably know him better than I know him. Well, I mean, I had him well, on the I- list of, of folks I'd like to have, but... Um, I think um, you've known him longer than I've known him, and, and surely from your work here that you're you're closer to him than I am. Well, he, it's been also been an honor. I uh, uh, this guest is a fellow that I've used as an expert resource for a number of years, and uh, I'm not going to you know I'm just going to say he's pretty close to being the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, good. So, and, so you, know, uh, pretty- you think I should uh, start up with? Um, Doing the introduction of our uh, our special guest no, tonight. I thought I, I thought I primed the pump a little bit. Okay. You know, people, well, you know, are wondering who we're having on. As I as I had said in in one of the uh, announcements this week, <laughs> I I've never met this man face to face. I've had conversations with him on the phone, but I've, I have never seen him face to face. 
but I do know that uh, I always enjoyed what he had to say in, in magazines. I thought his thinking was, was very clear. It's very concise what, the way he writes. I really enjoyed all the messages that I have ever read of his columns. I mean, they are they're good. It's just really, really good stuff. And uh, I'm sure if he writes well, he speaks even better. Uh, but he's he's a gem. Um, let's see if I can put the music to it. I, I you know how I always like to find something special for our guest. And uh, we did say that we wanted to, as we visited with uh, our guest earlier, that we wanted to uh, talk about working relationships with our, our vendors, right? Vendors, you know, be it manufacturers, drivers, distributors, yeah. wholesalers, or you want to classify. That, that we as a business owner, whether we sell products or services, anyone that we would buy products or services from ourselves and and the way that we partner with them, the way that we learn from them, uh, the way that we resolve uh, challenges and, and problems that we have with them, um, just basically making sure which, I, I guess, which team we're all working on. So I found him a song because I think when I mention the idea of working with vendors, more people are going to make some comment about problems and challenges. And uh, well, just like when you and I had a phone conversation. And we started talking about it. And we said, well, we got, you know, I'll make sure we cover this problem. And I, I want to cover this one. And it's like, boy, it was all problems. So thinking that that is how it commonly goes, let's start with uh, this is my introductory piece for our friend for tonight. Our guest tonight, Mr. Robbie Brown. I, I've known Robbie for quite a while. I think he's a great writer. Robbie is the president. He's the principal of a company named R.L. Brown Associates. He is in Chicago. Oh, we haven't asked Robbie whether or not he's a Cubs or a White Sox fan. But he's a Chicago-based consulting firm uh, specializing in serving small and medium-sized companies in all kinds of industries. He specializes in the areas of business profitability, implementation of systems, uh, applying technology to the business process, Inventory management, which definitely leads to profit. Expense reduction, another key component. Project management, educating staff, uh, strategic planning, and company valuations when we come to that point in time that we would like to uh, get out of the business. That's in his spare time. In his spare time. Robbie has over 30 years of experience from retailing, wholesaling, so he's been on both sides of the coin of what we're talking about tonight. Uh, definitely very well qualified to talk about what we're going to discuss tonight. Uh, Robbie specializes in consulting for businesses, uh, both on the merchandise and service sides. Uh, works for corporations, industry groups. He shows up at trade shows as a moderator, a speaker. Uh, Robbie has, uh, I can't say I've read every one of them, but Robbie has uh, published over 250 business-related articles in all kinds of national and international trade magazines. He is also a speaker, as my friend Bill and I are, and he served as a business advisor to many CEOs. So my special guest tonight, which I'm very thankful that he could come and be with us, and we're going to discuss between us and vendors, why can't we be friends? Our guest tonight, Mr. Robbie Brown. Robbie, you there with us, sir? I sure am, and good evening, Tom and Bill. By the way, 
You almost made me blush, all those kind words. <laughs> well, but I'm, I'm sincere about it. I, like I said, we've never met face-to-face, but I just always looked at what you wrote, and it's like, this guy is good. And, and there was that magazine that you and I talked about the other day. And I remember asking for the opportunity to write for the magazine, and I got turned down. And the reason I got turned down was because you were there. And it's like, I, I see I see a lot of people that when they write articles, and I say, yeah, but I can I do this, and this is how I'm different. And when they said, you know, we've got this guy, Robbie Brown, he's on Target, he's great with his message. And, you know, all I could say to that editor was, yes, ma'am, you're exactly right. And all I can do is see if, if Robbie decides to retire. <laughs> So, my friend, I am thankful. I greatly appreciate you would take your time to come and be with us, answer uh, some questions that a lot of people have uh, posed to us. Uh, and, and again, when all of a sudden it hit me about Chicago, let, let's answer the important question Cubs or White Sox? Uh, do they have anything to do with the Chicago Bears? Ah, Bears. Bears fan. <laughs> okay. A Bears fan. I admit I'm not a baseball fan, but I enjoy my Bears. Well, well what about the, Bear, the Bears and the Vikings? What about them? Who, who do you root for? The Bears? The Bears. Well, my wife is from Wisconsin and Green Bay specifically, so we have some tension oh, in the house when the Bears play the uh, uh, the boys in green and uh, yellow. Uh, yes, I, I would bet that does make for a good uh a, a good, interesting conversation. Do we sit comfortably on the couch with each other and watch the game? Always. Okay. So I called Robbie, and I said, I'd like to have you come and be on the program. I, w- I want you to talk to us. And I said, where would you like to go? What do you think we ought to take as a direction for the for the discussion? And, and Robbie came back and said, let's talk about our vendors. Truly a key component for anybody's business. Um I don't know that particularly a vendor – well, yes, I will, too. I will say that I have seen situations where a vendor can break a retailer when they, that particular vendor is that much a component of that retailer or that supplier of services. He's that much of a, a supplier to them, I mean, so much of a large percentage of them. Uh, but I can also say from personal experience in our family that we would have never gotten to do the things that we got to do in our business had it not been for the vendors that that called on us and, and took care of us. And Robbie, let, let me open the door with that to you at that point with 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 those comments and, and ask you to tell us about it. Just in the way of uh, background, so the listeners understand, I've been in their shoes. Uh, for the better part of my business life, I operated a, a fairly large chain of uh, sporting goods stores in uh, in about five different states. Our stores were large, and we carried uh, everything from the um, blood sports, hunting and fishing, to all forms of athletics, all kinds of footwear, apparel, and all manner of related products. So I've been there, I've done that, I've made the mistakes, and I've enjoyed the successes. And from all of that, I have uh, gleaned this philosophy of dealing with vendors. And uh, it's rooted in reality. I know what works and what doesn't work. Um, With regard to vendors, uh, it's important for vendors 
for their reps and for the retailers or the end user um, seller to understand that in effect you're all standing in the same bathtub together. Uh, what wins or works for the vendor will work for the retailer and the rep, provided that each party has an understanding of and respect for the other party's interests. So let me just stop at that point and let, let that sink in a bit. Okay. While you're doing so, let me, because uh, I, I also hear the background noise here. For everyone's yeah. listening tonight, let me ask you, if you would please, all, all the listeners, press star six on your keypad so that we, you can mute the background sound so we can very clearly hear what has to be said tonight. Star six, I will invite you in it a little bit to uh, hit it again and come back into the conversation. Uh, but as we go for the first part, everyone, please star six to uh, to mute your mute uh, your side of the conversation. We're we're picking up somebody's uh, probably business yep. noise in the background. Yeah, I can hear it too. Okay. All right. So, Robbie, what you're saying is that um, we live together, we die together. More or less. Not like Patrick Henry. Um, I can tell you this because. I work with a lot of retailers, both on the service side and the product side, and there is a general adversarial relationship expressed vis-a-vis their vendors, uh, regardless of whether it's minimum advertised prices or the policies and procedures or the pricing or the distribution of their products, there always seems to be a problem with the vendors. And if you talk to the vendors, you're going to hear in the flip side that there's always a problem with uh, some or all of the retailers because they do or do not do this or understand that. And someplace in between are the sales reps that theoretically are the liaison between uh, the vendor and the retailer. Of course, the reps, you understand, are paid by the uh, vendors, so there's a little bit of a bias there. Yeah, and there's a bias towards here who's writing my check. I mean, as far as who's writing my check directly, um, but there's also a situation with a problem that occurs when you look at a rep, and it's the uh, I don't get paid until we come to the point that I have sold you something. Right. No. Right. Part of part of the problem here is that um, the three parties are not speaking a common language. And the common language has to be retail because no one gets paid until the consumer buys the service or the product. No one gets paid until the sale is made. And if vendors and their reps do not understand uh, how retailing really works uh, and the dynamics of pricing and promoting to the public, if they don't understand those concepts, then they can't put together programs that will be, in effect, a win-win for all three parties. So education, not just only at the retail level, but at the vendor level and the rep level, I think is paramount. And I see it all the time when I conduct these ser- uh, um, seminars at trade shows, uh, which normally attract both the uh, retailer and I get vendor participation and sales rep- uh, participation. So what we've got is a situation in that um, it's, it's not one-sided who's going to solve the problem. Uh, it, it's a situation where as the, the retailer, the service provider, uh, whatever your business is for those who are listening tonight, it's you've got a big responsibility in this relationship too. Uh, and perhaps if you go at it 
in an adversarial situation or an adversarial type of attitude, um, it's kind of like you're, you're you're walking into the conversation just planning to be mad. Well, you won't win. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the retailer who goes to war against their vendor will never win. Uh, you win when you can sit down with the vendor and say, I like your products. They're good. They sell. The only problem I'm having is that I'm not selling enough of that. So let's have a conversation to see how I can sell more of your products to me, and we in turn can sell to the consumer. Tell me, Mr. Vendor, what's important to you? And the vendor will respond. And then you say, well, I think I can do the better part of that. Let me tell you some important things to me. One of which, for example, might be markdown sharing. If a certain product is not moving off the shelf, everyone is losing. The retailer is not making a sale. The vendor is not making a reorder sale. And the rep isn't getting paid either. So it behooves everyone to get that inventory moving through the system. That's where you get into a situation where all parties are working towards a common goal. And in this example, it's markdown sharing or other activities that will move stale inventory off the shelf. But there's a what do you call it, SOS? Well, SOS stands for surplus, obsolete, and slow-moving inventory. SOS inventory is uh, the thing or the, the inventory that really screws up your inventory turn rate, it screws up your cash flow, and your return on investment. And to the extent that retailers have too much surplus, obsolete, and slow-moving inventory, that affects their uh, revenue stream, their cash flow, and their profits by a big margin. But we have a situation that occurs. I know from some of the conversations that I have had with uh, vendors is that you've got a sales rep out there. He is on a commission, and it's when, even though we're looking at SFS, it, it's difficult. It's challenging to look at the situation two, three, four years down the line when your issue is eating tonight, or you know the idea of eating with the paycheck that you're going to get in the next 30 days or so. Or it may also be a part of where you've got a manufacturer and the commission situation is just set up in a, in a format that does not benefit the sales rep, does not benefit the retailer. It's simply it's, it's one of those we're going to push it in the pipeline. Or as, as my father used to make a comment, you can only take and eat like an elephant and poop like a canary for so long before the business starts having problems. I am standing. i got a car in front of me. I'll do it, Right, Robbie? Yeah, you're, I'm getting a lot of background noise here. Um, the, the retailer, in other, in other words, the, the company that sells product, they have got to move the inventory through the system with or without the participation of the reps or the vendors. They have to. But the smart retailer will engage the rep and the vendor in the process of moving that inventory. Pointing out to them is in their best interest to do so. It's one of those, not, not to say it becomes adversarial, but it's one of those you do have to, you've got to take care of yourself first. Oh, yeah, you have to. But, again, you've got to approach this product uh, in the sense that 
I'm calling the vendor and the rep and say, hi, friend, hi, business partner. We have a problem. Let's solve it together because it's in our mutual best interest. Somewhere along the line, we've got to be a partner, and if we're not partnering, then uh, one of us is going to lose bigger for, at first, and then we're both going to take and start to lose. Are they interested? I don't, I don't know how this guy gets paid. Let me hey, jump hey, on Tom, again. You gotta, excuse me, you got to tell somebody to stop. No, no, I'm just saying you understand my point, right? It, right, it should right. be being used. All right, to everyone who's participating. Folks, I need to remind everyone, if you would press star six, please mute your lines. We're hearing Great. too many conversations in people's businesses. If you would please star six, mute mute all of your lines so that we can continue on with the conversation. One person disturbs it for everybody. Thanks, Tom. Okay, so Robbie, um, it, it's a it's a challenge. It's a it's a problem out there. Uh, but then that's why we invite you to come here because we're looking for ideas as to. You know what? What can someone one do? What? How does someone change that? Well, I can tell you that if you're going to approach this subject with a vendor, and you should, you have to approach it in a positive light. I love your products. Most of them sell well. A few don't, and those few are gumming up my inventory and my inability to reorder from you, Mr. Vendor, that which is selling. Let's work together. Help me to rotate the stock. Give me some markdown money. Give me something I can use to, uh, to move this inventory uh, through the system. And in doing so, in doing so, I'm now in a position to reorder again from you. Therefore, your sales go up. You see, the retailer is in a bit of a quandary. When he buys merchandise from a vendor, the vendor makes their full margin. They make their full margin when they sell it to the retailer. However, when the retailer goes to sell it to the public, they may or may not make a full margin. Therefore, they need to go back to their vendors and their sales rep and say, we shared the initial profit, now let's share the markdown as well. Mm -hmm. And candidly, I find most uh, vendors, when they're approached in a constructive fashion like that, are willing to cooperate at some level. Well, so long as we're looking at a, a business owner who is uh, continuing the relationship, it's not only this is the end and they solved it and I'm going to walk away from you. They just don't know. That, that doesn't work well. It, it's one, The only way you're going to get the participation out of the manufacturer is when you are it, – It's the relationship is going to be continuing. Right, and you've got to be a good citizen customer and looking long-term. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as long as you, as the business owner, are uh, participating in the ordering of the merchandise or the services from there, um, you do need to take and make a point to uh, open your mouth and say yes to this, no to that. Uh, I, I'm thinking of some people that uh, we've had discussion with about this, and, and one of the points was where they were overloaded. And I go, did you sign the order form? Yes, well, you know, how... How can you? Well, that, that manufacturer loaded me. Well, yes, but you did sign the order. Uh, a part of the lack of knowledge in operating the business uh, does fall to be the responsibility of the business owner. I agree totally. And um, it's almost a, a situation where you have to be careful what you wish for because you might get it. 
there's a tendency in certain industries for the vendors to load up the retailer and cooing in their ear and saying, well, you just order this on the preseason order. You don't have to pay for it for four or five months down the way, and you've got it there to sell, and you can work on our money. And that's a disastrous formula, disastrous, because you're, the retailer then is trying to forecast exactly what is going to sell, in what size, in what color, in what combinations, and at what time, and we're just not that good at guessers. So you're far better off either to place scheduled orders, put less of your inventory up front, scheduled orders, or order it as you need it if the vendor can ship it that way. Therefore, you keep all options on the table, and you have flexibility in managing your inventory. Okay. Let me ask this question before we go to break. Um, I, I know I believe that I've heard you answer an awful lot of it, but because this person took the time to uh, send in a question, I wanted to make sure that I read it exactly as it was asked, and if there were components of it, that uh, you might want to add to what you've already said. Uh, and the person says, here's a question for Robbie Brown for tonight's uh, talk. Can you give any tips on ways to deal with vendors, how to approach, and the options available for products that are not selling? Well, that's a great question, and we've sort of been nibbling around the edges here this evening on that same subject. But one thing that, uh, that has to happen and that is that the retailer has got to know his numbers, uh, know the turn rate for that particular vendor. Turn rate is how quickly the inventory is moving through the system. Know what the, the return on investment in that inventory is. In other words, how many gross profit dollars you're earning per dollar invested of that vendor's merchandise. Then you go to the vendor with the performance, the grade card, the report card, Mr. Vendor. I like your products, but the public doesn't. Here's the numbers. What can we do together to correct this situation? If you go to them and you're ranting and raving and demanding, you get very little. But if you go to them well-informed, well-educated, and use the velvet hammer approach, you'll get far more. Ooh, I like that phrase, the velvet hammer. It's like I heard Margaret Thatcher, the... Uh Iron a velvet glove. I have a question, Robbie. Basically, I just want to clarify something. So, really, it's all about a mutual understanding and recognition and agreement of the concepts of selling and sell through. Correct. That is correct. But all too often, both the the retailer and the vendor are ignorant about the dynamics of inventory. And they're making decisions without the knowledge, the numbers, the report card that you need. Mm -hmm. okay. well, it's kind of so, like that old saying that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Exactly. So before we take our break, let me remind everyone that you're listening to the September 2012 edition of the e-retailer conversation conference call. This is Tom Shea, my co-host, Mr. Bill Kendi, and our special guest who's kind enough to join us Tonight is Robbie Brown from Chicago, a specialist in small business, uh, an immense wealth of, of knowledge. Uh, let me tell everyone that uh, if you have a question you want to get in in tonight's call, you can call on uh, send it by Facebook uh, to Tom Shea. You can go online, send me an email, tomshea at profitsplus.org, and we'll make a point to get it in. 
When we come back from our break here in just a second, we're going to touch a really touchy, touchy subject. We're going to make sure that we get the question about the concept of dealing with MAP, which is minimum advertised price. So that being said, quick break, and then we'll be back with the second half of the show with Robbie Brown. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow up on trees and honey trees and snow white I like to teach the world the same thing with me. Okay, Robbie, that's my uh, my best effort at trying to find uh, uh, peace songs for people who uh, are in situations that are traditionally adversarial, and uh, I, I like your your velvet hammer idea, and and, and I think that's that's a lot of it. That's very um, apropos music. Well, we we try to when we have our guests every month, we we do try to go find something that's appropriate to, to uh, connect with them and and the message that they want to bring to the evening and. Uh, um, uh, if I had gotten to you earlier about the um, about the Bears aspect, I, I would have made a point to going out and found the old Super Bowl shuffle from 1984, I think right. it was. We, we would have played it for you, even with Bill being up there in, uh, in, in his part of the country and uh, being the Detroit fan and my being down here in Tampa Bay near, near the uh, Buccaneers. We would have indulged and uh, covered it for you. All right. Well, here's here's the question. Well, Tom, can I interrupt you for a quick second before sure. we get into the thorny uh, aspect of MAP? Uh, I have a couple questions for you, Robbie. Fire away. First off, um, I think you know. Uh, I think that it's a true double-edged sword that you know. For you know, it's kind of like that old saying that when does one plus one equal three? And the answer is, depending, you know, it depends on your accountant is the first answer. And the second one is when you want to make something happen. Because, you know, you got a vendor and you got a retailer, and the third party in there is that little person that's called a customer. And uh, for two questions, the first one is, do you think that it makes sense for vendor representatives to really know about retail. I think you've alluded to that, and I just kind of want to reiterate that. They might know about product and pricing and great programs and what's going on, but it's really they need to figure out how to be a benefit to the retailer to move products. That's the first one. The second question is that, it's a, I said it's a two-way sword. Retailers have to remember that when reps come in, they drove a long way to see, and it's probably not a great idea to keep them waiting for an hour or to just try to cherry pick from the best distributors out there and not show any loyalty to the firm? Those are the two questions I would like to address to you, sir. Both excellent questions. With regard to the first, do sales reps need to know retail, speak the retail language? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I'm reminded, as I think back over the years, of the number of reps who would show up at my office, sit down with me, pull out their price list or sheets of paper and say, yep. here's your policy, here's your program for the coming year. And I would sit back and say, my program? You've never asked me what my program needs were. How can you develop a program for me when you have no idea what's important to me? What's your name to my, my marketplace, my comp- competitive situation? So that always bothered me. So to the extent that retailers are speaking one language, language and reps a second language, you're not communicating. Reps should understand the concept of turn rates and why they affect profitability, and they should understand the uh, concept of gross margin return on invested inventory for the same reason. That makes them a better salesperson. Right. And they do speak the same language. On the flip side of that is your comment about uh, should or is it appropriate for a retailer to be other than nice and respectful to their reps. And I think it's a horrible mistake. Uh, When you have a reputation for being an honest, forthright retailer, a customer, that speaks your mind clearly, justifies it, asks for what you need, but you do it respectfully, uh, and you understand that the rep's time is very much as precious as your own, then you will gain from that type of behavior. Uh, These reps travel along, and and being a sales rep is tough. I was doing that for a while. And, you know, if you can go into a retailer, they give it to you straight, they buy it or they don't, but they respect your opinions and you theirs, then you got something going. All right, well, let's do the question on the map. And then behind that, because we've got about – 20 minutes left. I've got three or four more questions I want to put behind that. So, Robbie, let's uh, let's tread into the water on the uh, on the issue of the map, which stands for minimum. Well, I'll, let me back up. I'll let you explain it, Robbie. This is your area. Uh, minimum advertised prices. That that is a policy that is set forth by the seller of their uh, certain products that says you can advertise it, but you can't advertise it below this stated price because if you do, in our opinion, you're screwing up the marketplace and will, in effect, not sell you anymore. Uh, this is an ultra-sensitive subject. It works for some people, some industries, and it is a source for irritation in others. Um, on the pro side uh, of minimum advertised pricing policies is that the product is not bastardized in the marketplace. It's not heavily discounted, and therefore everyone is theoretically selling at the same price and enjoying a legitimate uh, margin when they make the sale. On the negative side of the ledger is not everyone follows the rules. And you have people engaging in the gray market and selling online at something greatly reduced than than the minimum advertised price. So uh, this really is an irritant to the retailers. Also, a lot of retailers say that the vendors do not play entirely by the rules that they foist upon the retailers in that they allow certain mass merchants to sell it at greatly discounted prices. So it it is indeed a sensitive subject. So what we have is a situation when somebody goes off of uh, mass pricing, then we are dealing somewhat with a 
a situation of a manufacturer who has established a rule but is not enforcing the rule that they've created? Possibly. Well, I think what's important in today's world that you must be price competitive. And if you have a product that is subject to MAP and someone comes in and they hold it clutching in their hand, the same product advertised at a lower price, then you need to, one way or another, meet that price. It doesn't necessarily have to be a direct discount in violation of the policy of the vendor, but it could be a store credit, it could be some accessories at no cost, whatever. I would never let a customer walk because of a discrepancy in map pricing between one retailer and another. When you look at an item that is map and you allow, and because of the price, you allow the customer to, to walk out the door, then all the accessories and everything else that you could possibly sell with it are, are going out with it. It's, it's kind of like in the field of pharmacy, that when a pharmacist refuses to accept some form of a, a third-party reimbursement, or to what we as consumers generally know is they refuse to take my insurance plan, then all that merchandise that they sell in the front part of their business whether it be the gifts, the accessories, and all that stuff, you're going to lose those sales as well because if they're not coming for the scripts, they're not going to come for the gifts and accessories and greeting cards, you've completely lost a a chance of having that customer's business. Or worse, you may lose the customer. That's true. And then you're... And you've got to think of the lifetime value of a customer. Now, Robbie, I have another question to ask you because people are saying, well, you know, gosh, I bought this product and I can sell it. You know, if I want to eat the difference, I'll eat the difference. Or maybe I give away a widget or a cap snaffler or whatever the case may be. But the reason that manufacturers do MAP is because most of them have millions and millions and millions of dollars in establishing the credibility of the brand. Correct? That is correct. And I don't basically... Yet the brand on a retailer's basis. In a retailer, the scenario is the brand is the store. So there's going to be this you know, irresistible force meets the unmovable wall, wall sort of argument, right? Yes. That's a toughie. Now, um, on, the, on the area of, of, uh, of this of map aspect, uh, Robbie, you, when we had our conversation last, and you made mention of uh, discussing the idea of uh, showrooming. Mm-hmm. You want to uh, take sure. a punch at that one? Whether we like it or not, the Internet has become a tremendous, tremendous driving force in commerce today. And it's growing leaps and bounds. And it's not just the Internet now, it's mobile marketing as well on handheld devices, a.k.a. phones. Uh, you cannot get away from it. And what retailers are doing, excuse me, not retail, consumers are doing, they're going into stores, they're looking for what they want to buy, They want to kick it, shake it, wiggle it, play with it, feel it, and have a salesman tell them all about it. And then they leave the store, go on the Internet, and buy it at a discounted price. Right. Now, from the consumer's point of view, all's fair. And if I were the retailer, I would make it be known after you're done talking to that retailer in your brick-and-mortar operation that that you say, we meet or beat all internet pricing. 
Okay. Now, Let me I ask you a question. That comment, that's next. Pardon? I say I know with that comment, there is a a lot of retailers out there, a lot of service providers that are going to look at that and shake and say, "Oh my gosh, that man is radical." Well, let me let me say this: when the consumer is in the store and wants to buy, you really have only one bite of the apple. If you say, here's my price, goodbye, I'll see you later, you go search in the Internet, you probably have lost that customer and all future business and the ability to sell all the accessories that comes with it. I will say this. I would rather make a sale at a vastly reduced margin than make no sale because today, more than anything else, you need a high body content in your store. You need lots of people in your store. And you may not make a lot of money on the core sale, but you will sell them all kinds of other things that you do make uh, uh, margins on. Mm-hmm. If you like give up that ticket. sale to some some other business out in the uh, the internet world, is is silly. Okay, so I want to ask you some questions, Robbie, because I think these are uh, true true to your your style as as I I know you. I think that the questions I want to ask you. Over the the last few minutes that we've got here are, are Robbie Brown specialties, in that uh, your answers are here's how you do it, here's exactly what you do, and and the and the idea works. So the first one I would like to ask you is, uh, what is the importance um, in merchandise mix with uh, with profitability? Merchandise mix, that is what kind of products you're putting on the shelves, is absolutely central to the manufacturing of margins. Margins are the difference between what you pay for the product and what you sell it for. Those are margins, gross profit dollars. From gross profit dollars, they have to be sufficient to support all expenses plus your profits. Now, I don't care if you're making 10% margin or 55% margin, the key is, are you selling enough of it to give you a pool of gross profit dollars to support your expenses plus your profits? Grocery stores only make, you know, 3 4 5% per item, which is nothing, but they sell so much of it, the total gross profit dollars are there, and therefore they're highly uh, profitable companies. Merchandise mix means, are you, are you putting on the shelf not only the items that are going to be asked for, but all the ancillary products such as accessories, apparel, etc., that have a much higher gross profitability than the core right. items. Mix is very important in profitability. Okay. That's and where I, your, your Gimroy comes in, your gross margin return on inventory. Yes. Yes. You mentioned inventory turn. I know that's, a, that's an extremely um, important item. Um, the scenario I want to lay out to you in question is that we're, so many people are looking for turn, not knowing where it needs to go, which is a question to you in, in itself. But the other aspect is I've got something who is sitting on the shelf. The turn is just going down to zero at that point. How do you determine what the markdown is that you're going to take on this item? Because it's sitting there. It's been on the shelf for six months, and it, you know the next six months aren't looking any better. Let me back up for just a minute. 
returns is a measure of the velocity of inventory going through the company. If you have a six-month supply of inventory, that means you're turning it twice in the course of a year. Uh, Hardware stores, gun stores, uh, bike stores, fishing tackle stores, and many others have a turn rate that typically runs from about 1.5 turn up to three turns, which is really lousy. It's terrible. Ideally, you want to have turns that are north of four. I have one chain I work with in New York as a retailer. He turns it 17 times a year. Wow. wow. Phenomenal retailer. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, next, the, the next aspect of this thing is, well, so what if I have low turns? Big deal. You know, I can't sell that inventory. I need that inventory. Inventory costs you, the retailer, about 20% per year compounded. What's in the 20%? Well, you got your money tied up, so you're either paying interest or you have opportunity costs. Then you have the cost of warehousing, insurance, handling, shrinkage, and taxes on paper profits that will not really happen. Uh, So there is a real cost. If you have $100 worth of excess inventory at the end of the one year, it, now you have $120 of cost, not $100. And if you don't sell it another year, then it goes up again. It compounds. You ask the question, how much markdown is needed? Whatever it takes to move it. Whatever it takes. And if you can't sell it, junk it. At least it's out of your inventory, and that will increase your cost of goods sold and therefore decrease your paper profits and decrease your uh, income tax. Well, you mentioned your guy in New York. I thought I had met some of the great ones. Let me uh, let me match your great one in uh, New York with a retailer like this, Robbie. A uh, person has been in business just a few years. Their uh, annual sales are $1.7 million. Their store total square footage is 940. Wow. That's kind of... Uh, income per square foot, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, well, is, if I ask you, is that a retailer or what? Uh, and I'll add this one to it. The most expensive item they have in the store is $80. That is phenomenal. You know, I mean, you're, that's... That, that's $1,800 a square foot. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was saying. <laughs> yeah. Are, well, are, they, are they cooking or what? What, what? what is, he gonna, is he willing to sell some franchises? Well, he is a franchisee. He, he is a franchisee, yeah. and he's opening another store. That is phenomenal. I mean, I, my hat was off to that gentleman. What what a great, great merchant. And, uh, yes, everyone would like to be there, and no, that's kind of up there uh, in terms of himself. Well, Robbie, isn't, isn't inventory kind of a little bit of a necessitates a paradigm shift? Because I think... Some you know, retailers, some retailers look at inventory as, uh, first off, I think some of view it as pieces of furniture and they're used to having it there. And secondly, I think they view that as, well, this is my retirement. If I decide to, uh, you know, develop an exit strategy, I can, you know, the worst stores, I can just sell everything, close the doors and have a nice little nest egg. Is that, it, it, that's obviously an erroneous way to think, correct? Right. I- inventory is in a constant state of going sour. 
from the moment it hits your store, it has one value, and as each month goes by and isn't sold, the value keeps dropping and dropping until it becomes a liability because it's consuming your cash. But that, that liability does not necessarily mean that the product it product is outdated. It's just it could be a change in packaging. Well, for whatever reason, it's not selling. Yeah. yeah. And if you have half a million dollars worth of inventory that's not selling, you could be investing that half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. You put it somewhere. Yeah. So, Robbie, let's, let's anticipate that we have listening tonight uh, of which I also w- was very pleased. I have had several people over the last week who went one uh, on a phone call today and says, gee, I never get to listen to these live, but I definitely go over and I always grab the recordings. So for anticipating that I have some out there who um, have issues, who are struggling, give me some the Robbie Brown down and dirties. Here's what you need to do for, for increasing some profits. Well, If you're in the merchandise business, the first thing you have to do is do an ABC analysis of your inventory so you know which items account for 80% of your sales, the old 80-20 rule. Unless you know what are your sales drivers, then you have to make sure you're in stock. And I can tell you from doing this hundreds of times for retailers, typically the best items are out of stock on because they sell well. And so the inventory is loaded with B and C items and very low on A items. So that's, on a, that's number one. Make sure you stay in stock. Number two, stock your store with margin-rich products that support your core niche. Number three, get your turnover up. And you do that by monitoring rates of sales. When it stops selling, take a markdown, start working with your vendors to assist you in that process. And, of course, uh, lower your expenses. And lastly, and this is basic to all businesses, have a profit plan, a business plan, a pro forma income statement, a budget. If you want to make good chili, you have a good recipe. If you want to make good profits, then have a good profit recipe. And tell me this one, then, my friend. What percentage of the time have you been able to work with a business, walk in and see a business, and actually see a written business plan? Pretty low. Low percentage. Uh, Independent retailers uh, typically will take the position, hey, I know what's selling. I'm working on the floor. I'm here every day. I know what's going on. But uh, you alluded to the fact that inventory sometimes looks like the furniture, the wallpaper. You stop seeing what isn't selling. And therefore, it just clogs up your turn rate. The acid test is do a turn rate analysis by store, by department, and by vendor. They'll tell you right now where your problems are. And I think there's also some people that with their inventory, they become hesitant to get rid of it because it's an admission of a failure. I bought this. I thought it was right. No, it's not right. And I'm embar- it's embarrassing to put it on a markdown table because that just says I'm not a good buyer. Well, it's they're saying that you're killing yourself. I know it's right. I'm the buyer. I bought it. It's the public that's wrong. They're not buying it. <laughs> right. right. Well, you know, doing an inventory or a turn analysis isn't that hard, correct? No, it's very easy. 
you get the any inventory plus additions minus an inventory, correct? That'll give you the cost of goods sold number for the year. Right. Right. Uh, well, it's beginning inventory plus purchases minus ending inventory will give you the cost of goods sold. Divide that number by the average inventory, average inventory at cost. So you take the ending inventory for each of the 12 months, sum them, divide it by 12, there's the average inventory. Divide that into the cost of goods sold for the store or the department or the vendor, and you'll have turns. We're uh, we're closing in on the top of the hour. Let me tell you, I promised everyone who listened to us tonight. Uh, let's see, reminder: this is the September 2012 issue of the E-Retailer Conversation Conference Call. Our special guest tonight is Mr. Robbie Brown, kind enough to join us from Chicago, visiting with Mr. Bill Kendi and I, as we have uh, concentrated our time and effort in discussing aspects about our our vendors. And, of course, that means what do we buy from them product-wise, and that leads us to, in buying the products, what, um, what's the right combination, how many, and how do we move them. So uh, to all those who are participating, let me invite you, star six, turn yourself uh, back to the point if you would like to ask Robbie uh, a question. Robbie, I'm going to ask one of you, and then I would like to uh, be able to close by telling people a little bit more uh, about you and uh, what all it is that you do. Here's here's my last one for the night. I'm looking at someone's store. Uh, I'm looking at their margins, not where they need to be, too far down the pike. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the store, and I'm, they're looking at selling items that traditionally have margins uh, low 40s, and the store overall is running around with a margin that's somewhere in the 36, 37. So... Uh, thinking of a business such as that one, what would you suggest are the best ways for increasing margins in a a store? I would do a couple of things. Number one, I'd very carefully examine your merchandise mix. Number two, I'd go back to your vendors and say, I need more margin. If, in this example, they had maintained margins of 36%, I'll bet you that their operating costs are going to be someplace between 33 and 35%. If they're, if, let's suppose it's 34%. If you have operating costs of 34%, margins of 36%, that means you're only having profits of 2% of sales. Way too low. Way too low. Which leads me to the comment that I wanted to tell people uh, and, and tell who Robbie is and where to find Robbie. Um, Robbie says, the one thing I want to make sure people understand is that if you are not generating a bottom line that's in excess of 4 to 5%, Robbie says, you need some professional help right now. Uh, doing the same things that you've done year after year and getting the same results is not going to increase the profits. Working longer hours, harder is not going to do it. Uh, you need new skills. You need some insights. You need some help from people who do what sharp business consultants do, which is show them how to get a return more deservedly of the amount of money they've got set there. Robbie Brown is located in a suburb of Chicago. Let me give you ways to get a hold of Robbie. Robbie's office number is 847-726-1244. That's 847-726-1244. And Robbie can reach be reached email if you and if you lose this information by all means 
give me a holler, tomshayatprofitsplus.org. Call the number off the website, and I'll get you in contact with Robbie. Uh, but it is Robbie, R-O-B-B-I-E, dot brown at comcast.net. Robbie dot brown at comcast.net. And again, the phone number, 847-726-1244. Now, that all being said, we have, we surely didn't spend it. We invested very wisely tonight, my friends, with an hour to have the opportunity of getting Robbie Brown to share his insights, his experience, and his knowledges. And Robbie I wouldn't begin to say you didn't disappoint. You're, you're everything I always would expect to hear from you, my friend. It uh, was worth it. I wish I could come sit in the audience and just listen to you uh, and just ingest as much as I can the information that you have to, sh- to share. So as the clock is getting ready to uh, chime 9 o'clock, uh, the other chime that we always close the uh, the show out with is a noise that goes something like this. Uh, music to my ears. Bill Kendi, thank you, friend. Yeah. As always, well, thank you for being here and joining with me. Robbie and Robbie, Brown. thanks for uh, being part of it. Thank you, Tom. Thank Robbie, you, Bill. thank you for joining us. I greatly appreciate it. Everyone, recording will be on the website in just a short while, as soon as we can download it from the, from the system and get it back up on the website. Bruce uh, Giroux will have it on the website, profitsplus.org. Just look for the link on the website for e-retailer conversation conference call. We'll be back with you next month for October. It will be October the 18th, Thursday, October 18th. Our guest is going to be a gentleman by the name of D. Wendell Attic. D. Wendell is a friend of mine, goes back 15, 16 years, and uh, well, we give him credit for first having designed the Profits Plus logo and a lot of stuff. This man is brilliant. He is so sharp. I've enjoyed working with him over the years, and I enjoy getting to listen to what D. Wendell has to say. And he's going to bring some new insight with regard to the social medias and things that uh, we as small businesses can be doing to implement them in our business. I hope you will uh, make a point to mark it on your calendar. I'll be sending you an announcement on uh, about Sunday, the 14th of October, and it'll be Thursday 8 p.m. Eastern, October 18th, the Window Attic joins Bill Kendi and Tom Shea for the October issue of the E-Retailer Conversation Conference Call. That's it for tonight, everybody. Thanks for being with us. We enjoyed the opportunity to spend the evening with you. Take care. Talk to you next month. <laughs>